0: Welcome to the studio with Christoph Milieczak. For the past two weeks, I haven't been feeling so hot. So about two weeks ago when I started to feel not that great, I made an appointment to see a doctor in Boulder. Now, I haven't yet had a need to see a doctor in Boulder, so I had to find a clinic. They have a, an array of doctors. A few of them were accepting new patients. I read their bios online, and I chose one of them. So I now have a a new personal doctor, a family doctor, whatever you want to call it. He's an internist. I was reading his bio. It says that he's currently performing a research study where he's administering MDMA, the party drug, also known as ecstasy or molly. He's administering this party drug to veterans suffering from PTSD. Wow, that's great. This guy has an interest in in drugs. So I, I chose him as my doctor. I got the earliest appointment I could, which was two Fridays from when I booked the appointment. And that happened to be last Friday. So last Friday, I go to the clinic. A nurse takes me in. She takes some standard measurements, my height, my weight, my blood pressure, my pulse, my blood oxygen and she asks me some standard questions. She asks me why I'm there. I tell her that I've been feeling pretty fatigued and that my resting heart rate is concerningly high. So she takes a few notes, then she asks me, well, do you smoke cigarettes? Just some routine questions. She asks me, do you smoke cigarettes? I say, no. She asks me, are you sexually active? I say, yeah. Trying to smash? So the nurse leaves, the doctor comes in, seems like a cool guy. I explained the situation to me. He says, okay, first thing we're going to do, we're going to give you an EKG. So the nurse comes back in. She asks me to take my shirt off. So I do. She hooks up some electrodes to my chest. I'm not sure if that's a proper term. Anyway, measurements come back fine. The electrical signals in my heart are good to go. So the doctor comes back in, he says, okay, it's not totally clear what's up, we're going to send you for some blood testing, so go to the hospital now, then go home, I'll call you later. Before I go to get the blood work, I talk to the doctor a bit more about my past history, and he mentions that he has a bit of an interest in psychedelics. So I told him, yeah, I read your bio and that you're doing some research with MDMA and seeing how it can treat PTSD. He says, yes, I, I'm actually doing that in collaboration with MAPS. I say, MAPS? Because I know a thing or two about MAPS. MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. It's an acronym. Last year, during the Black Lives Matter protest, when it was at the peak, when social unrest was at its highest, and people were posting black squares, and the country was half hopeful for change and half upset at all of the looting and rioting when there is this tumultuous sense in the air. My employer normally does one-for-one donation matching. So if you donate to any registered charity, they will match your donation. You donate $100, they donate $100. Because of this big social movement, they said, for anyone who donates within this two-week time period, we will double our donation matching, meaning that if the employee donates $100, the employer will donate $200 to that organization. So any donation is 3x'd. I thought, wow, this is a unique opportunity. I get to make a difference with my money right now. So I thought, which organization can I donate money to that will have a positive impact on not hundreds, maybe thousands, hopefully millions, of lives. So I thought about it, a lot of people were donating to Black Lives Matter, and there was some speculation about them being a Marxist organization. At the very least, it was confirmed that they were run by self-identified Marxists. And I have no love for Marxism, so I thought "I, I certainly need to donate to a different charity. And then I realized the perfect charity for me to donate to was MAPS. So I donated to this this, uh, research group who's looking into psychedelics. They're studying LSD and psilocybin, MDMA. So I tell the doctor, oh, I I know MAPS. I donated to MAPS. He said, wow, well, some of your money is coming to me. So I formed this nice bond with my doctor. I go and get some blood work done, the blood work he sent me to, to go get couple hours later, I get a call on the phone. It's the doctor. He says, yeah, your blood work's returning some pretty abnormal stuff. We're going to go send you to get a CT scan. Uh, maybe some concerns that something's up with your heart or maybe that you are at risk of having a pulmonary embolism. I'm thinking, oh, damn, that's not good. So he sets he sets the appointment for 3.30 in the afternoon. It was about 1.30 at that time. Half an hour later, I get another call. It's the doctor again. He says, okay, okay. I think there might be another cause to this. It might be a bit less serious. I've pushed your CT scan back one hour to 4.30. We're going to do some additional blood work processing, and I'll get back to you. So about half an hour later, I get another phone call. It's a doctor. I say, hey, doc, what's up? He says, you have mono. I say, oh. He says, so the good news is you don't need to get a CAT scan anymore. Not concerned about your heart, not concerned about a a pulmonary embolism. Mono explains all of your symptoms. It explains your high resting heart rate. It explains why you're tired all the time. And it explains the blood test oddities. So, okay, that's that's all right. Uh, What do I do? He says, well, just, you know, take it easy, rest, drink water, hydrate. And you should be feeling better within, uh, I don't know, about four weeks. So I say, well, doc, that's not too inspiring of a message, but I'm glad there's nothing wrong with my heart. Then I talked to the doctor for about five minutes about psychedelics, and we, uh, we went our separate ways. So I am still sick with mono right now, and that's not stopping me from recording this podcast. Yes, my fatigue is not even detectable right now. I'm, I'm coming on hot. I have I have priorities. I can't let a little viral infection get me down. So onwards we go. A couple weeks ago, I left my house. It was midday, and I was going to the Trident. That's a coffee shop slash bookstore in Boulder. It's a nice place to go. They don't have the best coffee in town, but they have pretty good coffee, and it's about a 17 minute walk from my house, which is perfect because it allows me to go for a nice stroll during the day, stretch my legs, get some sunshine. I'm big on getting some vitamin D. I get to either walk there through the park or walk there through the downtown. It's it's a really nice walk. Boulder is a beautiful place and it's a it's a great place to be kind of in the in the center of the town in the middle of the day. So I walked to the Trident. I went through their back entrance. I got my coffee, I got a little pastry. I walk out the front entrance, and now I'm walking back home through the downtown. I see a bit ahead of me, there's a man who is selling newspapers on the street. I haven't seen him before, but he's he's selling newspapers. And there's a man who's walking in the opposite direction of me. He's walking towards me, and I see him passing the newspaper salesman. The newspaper salesman says, "Uh, Newspaper for sale, the money goes to support homeless causes and the man who was walking by him has his headphones on, doesn't look up, doesn't acknowledge him in any way. So I thought, ah, well, you know, I, I know what's going on right now, and I'm, I'm going to acknowledge this newspaper salesman at least when I walk by. So I'm walking by, and inevitably the newspaper salesman, he, he calls it, ah, uh, newspapers for sale, uh, helping the homeless. And sticking to my plan, I make brief but polite eye contact, say no thank you, and I'm continuing merrily along my way holding my coffee and pastry bag. Now, he, he should have just been pleased that I acknowledged his mere, pathetic existence selling newspapers. I, I gave him the time of day, which is more than what the other man did and probably more than what most people do. But instead of acknowledging that I shared a human moment with him, he, he says coldly, Well, I hope you enjoy your snacks. As though every time I buy a pastry, I need to donate to UNICEF? Excuse me? That's very passive-aggressive. So I I just keep walking. What am I going to do? Get into a bit of a tussle? No, no. So I, I go about my way. But I didn't want his newspaper. My neighbor, I have a new neighbor. My old neighbor moved out. She was fantastic. And now her brother moved in in her place. And he seems to be a, a really cool guy. So he just moved in, but he immediately went on vacation. He's gone for the month of July. And he has a New York Times newspaper subscription. So he said, Christoph, I have this Times subscription. I won't be reading it, obviously, when I'm gone for the month. Do you want to read the paper instead? Do you read the Times? I said, well, thanks uh, thanks for offering, Eric, but I, I don't read the Times. He says, okay, no problem. I'll cancel my subscription." This newspaper salesman was acting like I'm all entitled for not buying his newspaper to, to help out homeless people with the profits as though if I am doing something nice for myself as a, as a privileged person with a house, I should also feel obligated to donate to those who are less fortunate or not even to donate, to buy, to buy the, the newspaper. But I'm asking myself, do I really want to read a subpar newspaper spewing leftist narratives filled with more opinion pieces than actual news and all written by half-baked journalists who are half homeless themselves? In other words, do I wanna read the New York Times? The answer is no. So if I don't wanna read the New York Times, one of the best newspapers in all of the United States, whatever that means, then I definitely don't want to read your shitty little local charity newspaper. So I have a plan. Next time I'm going to the Trident, I'm going to walk in the front way, and I'm hoping to cross paths with this man again. Now, he'll have no recollection of me. I'm one of hundreds of people that he tries to sell newspapers to. And he is doubtlessly going to say, Oh, I'm selling newspapers. The profits go to support homeless people. He'll, he'll look at me and, do, do, do you want one? And I'll, I'll stop, I'll look him in the eye and I'll say, no thanks, I'm going to go buy a snack. That'll show him. But truly, there is such, I believe that was a firework, but truly, there is such little journalism left in the U.S. There are a lot of opinion writers, a lot of political commentators, A lot of people who watch what's going on in Washington but actual journalists, people who are on the ground, people who report actual narratives, who don't report bias that's coming from the top of the organization, who themselves are getting their viewpoints from, the people who really control the media narratives. The number of true journalists left is very slim, and most of them don't even work at newspapers anymore. They, they have their own substack pages, they're independent journalists. Because there's no place in inside of mainstream media for those who are going to be reporting the facts in an objective way that aren't always going to be spinning things to look good from the from the correct perspective. And this is true on the right and the left, even though there's not really a huge difference between the left and the right. There's an illusion that there's a big difference, that the power struggle in the U.S. is between the Democrats and the Republicans the liberals and the conservatives, the left wing and the right wing. In reality, the parties are so similar. What actually gets done is so similar. But people are tricked into thinking that there's a huge difference and that one party is going to do something so different from the other. No, the, the wars are going to be the same. The taxes might change slightly, not too much. The same corporate interests in general are, are given priority. Everything stays the same, the engine doesn't stop, left and right, red and blue, it doesn't matter. Things go the same way. But if you want to be critical of these deep-rooted power structures, if you want to be critical of intelligence agencies, if you want to call out the Bush crime family and the Clinton crime family and these aristocracies that are really at the top of the US, well, there's not a place for you in, in, in mainstream media. You need to go your own way. You're going to try to be muzzled, and you might even get suicided in the process. That being said, there are some journalists still out there. I'm just not sure how many of them are at the New York Times. And I'm certainly sure that there aren't many of them at all at this homeless newspaper. Can you imagine, though, if this homeless newspaper were actually tremendous journalism? Or maybe... Maybe not even if it were good journalism, but but if it weren't just spewing maybe these more left-wing narratives about how we need to allow homeless people to camp in parks and everything about oppression, etc. Imagine if it's actually just a, a schizophrenic, conspiratorial newspaper. Everything's talking about the deep state. <laughs> Everything's talking about... <laughs> How the elites are controlling the US, just all of the, all of the journalists are these schizophrenic homeless people. Imagine if it were an alt-right journal, they're just saying these horrible things. They're they're talking about how certain races are naturally better than others. They're talking about uh, how a certain class of people, uh, not as, they're talking about how a certain race of people runs all the banks and runs all of Hollywood. Isn't that funny, by the way? Isn't that really funny how Jews are the only group who are equally hated by the far left and the far right? They just can't catch a break. No one likes Jews. It's very odd. Very odd. So I want to take this opportunity to boldly and clearly state that there will always be a home for Jews at the studio. Send this to your Jewish friends. Clip out this part and send it to your Jewish friends. I am one of your only mainstream supporters in the U.S. right now. Shalom. Back to the episode. So yeah, if this if this homeless newspaper were alt-right and conspiratorial and written by these schizophrenic homeless people, that's something i get a subscription to. That's something I'd... Bye. That's something I'd promote on this podcast. I'd get the journalists on to do interviews. How about that? Speaking of journalists, I want to talk a bit about my landlady. There's something a bit off with her. It's like she's always floating on a cloud. There's a bit of a glaze in her eyes, and she doesn't finish her sentences. When she talks to you, she'll stop about four-fifths of the way through a sentence, And then she'll just stare in your eyes and expect you to finish it or to understand what she's trying to say. But you can't really understand what she was trying to say because she's just a little bit up in the clouds. So you're just there making eye contact with her as she's staring at you blankly. And then she might shake her head and say, never mind. Or she might manage to find that tendril of a thought and finish the sentence. She's a bit spaced out. She's, she's really nice. She's a nice woman. She's a great landlady. She doesn't bother me. I look after the place. She compliments me on how I look after the yard, on how I pay rent on time. The place that I live in is nice. There aren't issues. When there are issues, she addresses them. So my landlady, Beth, wonderful lady, but she's not quite there. Actually, I think she might be on pills. I think, actually, that's that's a conservative statement. I think my landlady is pilled up all of the time. But she's very nice. Maybe just a just a sprinkle of benzos in her coffee in the morning. Nothing insane. She can operate. I don't think she has a job. Actually, I know she doesn't have a job. She's getting her PhD in journalism from CU Boulder. CU Boulder is a good school but my landlady is about like 45 years old and she's getting a a PhD in journalism. What do you want to do? Go work for the New York Times? I mean given the quality of journalism there I think she might actually be one of their top writers and that's saying something because she's not exactly churning out literary tours de force. I found an article she published on January 31st, 2017. It's a review of a, of a restaurant in Beaver Creek that's in the Colorado and Rockies, and she wrote a very mediocre article about it. There's some punctuation mistakes. There are some nice turns of phrase, but it's a bit inconsistent, a bit overly romanticized, a bit too cute for my taste. But that, that, that's all right. I mean, she can she can be a, a half-baked journalist getting her PhD. That's, that's fine. I don't think she has kids. I don't think she has too much going on. She just looks after maybe three different properties. By the way, I don't know how she owns these properties. She's not a property manager. She owns these places. And I don't know what her husband's job is. My former neighbor told me what it was once. It's not a particularly high-paying job. She was a... Well, apparently, for the past 25 years, some mid-level journalist, mid is being very generous, by the way, she was a journalist and somehow owns multiple properties? That's very interesting. I'm suspecting that she was the recipient of a generous inheritance. That's pure speculation. She's a wonderful lady. Let's not forget that. So I, I found this article because I, I, wanted to, I wanted to figure out a bit about how she got here. So there was, that, there was that restaurant review from Beaver Creek from 2017. That was the most recent thing I could find. Then I dig back a bit further, and I see that she was a journalist for the Denver Post. And she wrote some pretty riveting articles, such as, After Trees Removed, A New Eagle Nest in Erie. Erie's a town. So that's, that's wow, what, what a great article. After trees removed, they found an eagle nest? Great, right, here, here's another one. Eagle County Arenas' light-colored roofs have neighbors complaining of glare. That's from 2009. Interestingly, Beth published zero articles with the Denver Post between 2010 and 2015. There's a bit of a gap there, unexplained. So there's that 2009 article. Then I go down a bit and... This is a pretty interesting alleged Veil shooter has PTSD, lawyer says in court. Yeah, that's a bit more hardcore. I actually read that article, it's, it's pretty good. So it seems the further back you go in her history, the, uh, a bit more legitimate she was. And I find another one. She says, Veil murder suspect is Vietnam veteran and avid skier. <laughs> Which I find hilarious. You're characterizing a murder by one harrowing activity and one fun pastime. It's like saying, Boulder County rapist suffered PTSD in Iraq War and likes to cook. <laughs> Denver robber holds woman at gunpoint, then shoots her. In his spare time, he likes to knit. So, enough of these Denver Post headlines. You go back in time a bit more, I found out that she worked for the Denver Business Journal. She was hired there in March 2007, but for some reason the latest article that I could find there was from June 2007. It looks like she was there for three months. Alarmingly short, I'm not surprised. However, I did manage to find an article that was published in the Denver Business Journal when she was hired. It talks a bit about her bio. It says, Beth, a former Denver Post reporter and freelancer who worked in Baghdad and in Bosnia, joined the newspaper in February to cover the Denver area's legal community. Whatever. What? I am, I am shocked upon reading this. She, she worked in Baghdad. This must be the wrong woman. Because my spaced-out landlady who wrote these irrelevant articles for these irrelevant newspapers surely couldn't have been a reporter in Iraq. So then I find her page at CU Bowler. It's it's the her PhD page, so it has a little bio about her. Here's what it says, Beth has more than 25 years of experience as a reporter and editor, both domestically and overseas, working for print publications such as the Denver Post, wire services such as Agence France-Presse and Reuters, and other national and local news outlets. She worked for about 10 years overseas in the Czech Republic, Iraq, Kenya, and the former Yugoslavia, among other places. This is insane. This is shocking to me. So I, I see in the Czech Republic she was the editor of the Prague Post, which appears to be one of the largest English-language newspapers in the Czech Republic. She was in Iraq during the war. That is nutty. I managed to find some of the articles that she wrote uh, when she was in Iraq. Uh, one of them from two thousand and three. Baghdad mayor back on the streets. It's talking about. Well, that one's actually a bit less exciting. But but here's one. Deadly Iraq car bomb kills ten. She was in the thick of things. I mean, this is this is shedding some new light on my landlady Beth. You go, girl. I'm I'm actually I'm actually quite impressed by her after. After reading this, imagine that you used to be this journalist working in a war zone. You were in Kenya, an African country fraught with conflict. You were the editor of one of the biggest English language newspapers in the Czech Republic. You reported in the former Yugoslavia. That was a place that was fraught with tension. She was in Bosnia. And now, what does she do? She's 45, managing three properties. Not managing them super well, by the way. She had to enter my neighbor's house the other day. And because he's gone on vacation, she would have to bring the key herself. She said, well, I don't know if I can uh, come over because I'm prone to bringing the wrong key. I'm like, Beth, bring all the fucking keys, you nut. The solution that was reached was that instead of Beth bringing multiple keys and then actually figuring out which key belonged to which lock of the properties that she owns, my new neighbor's sister ended up leaving a spare key under a potted plant next to the front door. So it all worked out. But she went from... Being a reporter in a war zone. What an exciting life. Being, being in high positions in Europe. Having, having some thrills in Africa. To poorly managing three properties. Working for these really mediocre local newspapers. And now getting a PhD at the age of 45. For no apparent reason at, uh, at the university. Oh, not to mention... She she told me that she lectures. That's troublesome. That's troublesome. Actually it would be cool actually maybe to attend a lecture if she just tells stories about Iraq. She would just finish a sentence almost. She'd be like ninety percent through a story and just trail off. She'd she'd just be gazing off into the distance. Students would would expect her to finish, but she'd expect them to finish the sentence for her like she does for most of her sentences. That would be frustrating. She almost tells this, this heroic story, but doesn't get to the end, so you don't know what happens. You don't know if the Iraqi terrorist succeeded with his mission, or whether the, the valiant army officers stopped him. Maybe that's why she's like this. Maybe she saw just a little bit too much in Iraq, and now, uh, now she's on Benzos. Maybe it's, Maybe it's PTSD. Maybe she should go to my doctor and take some MDMA. Maybe that would sort her right out. Maybe then, maybe then she could become an editor-in-chief of the New York Times. She could work for the Atlantic. She could work for the Washington Post. Imagine if she turned journalism around in this country. That would be cool. So, Beth, if you're listening, which I know you're not, you should take some MDMA with my doctor. Knowing that she was in Iraq also makes me way more sympathetic to a text that she sent me a few months ago. There was a shooting in Boulder, and it was a huge thing in the town. Because the town is only 100,000 people, there aren't normally shootings, and this was a mass shooting. So everyone was staying inside, locked in their houses. And Beth sends me and Claire, Claire was my previous neighbor, she, she sends us a message in the group text. She says, I hope everything is going well. What an unusual day, with all these police alerts and armed people. At the time, I was thinking that that was the most out-of-touch message I had ever read. During the day, Claire was calling me, she was freaked out, because, of course, there's a shooting going on in this town that she's called home for many years. And there were reports that there was maybe a second shooter just one block from us. So she's, she's freaked out. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty chill. But also, you know, people, people were shot up at a supermarket. That's not fun. And I, I think it's a horrendous day. I think it's a tragic day. Beth says, what an unusual day, guys. But then, with this new context, I realized she was in a war zone. She was in Iraq. Some people get shot up at the Boulder Supermarket. For her, it's a walk in the park. For her, she'd be in the supermarket. She'd still be shopping. She'd be filling up her, her shopping cart with, with graham crackers and, and over-the-counter medication. But unfortunately... It seems as though my time living with Beth is coming to a close. My employer is calling me back to California. Am I thrilled about this? No. No, I have uh, a pretty good situation going for me in Colorado. It seems as though at the beginning of September, I will need to return to the burning hellhole that is the, the golden state. The state of California. My intent is to live in Santa Cruz. If you listen to episode three, thanks for being with me this long. You're one of the OGs. We are much bigger right now as a podcast. But for the last 15, 20 minutes of that episode, I just went off on San Francisco. So no way can I live in San Francisco again. And no way can I live in Silicon Valley itself. So that leaves about one more location for me to live And that would be Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz or bust. When I'm tired of Santa Cruz, I am leaving California. I figure I go to California in September, and I have at most two years there. And then I leave. And I leave with my company or without it. I I will be getting out of the state. So if everything is trending in the direction that it's going right now, I'll be back in California I have friends there whom I haven't seen for over a year. I know a bunch of people in California. Am I excited to see some of them? Yes, of course. Am I excited to see many of them? Ah, define many. But I, I'm i prepared. I'm prepared for being hit up by people who have unreciprocated emotions towards me. This is my, this is my plan of attack. They'll say, Hey, Christoph. It's been so long. Do you want to hang? And I'll say, ah, you know, why don't you just listen to the podcast? They'll say, what? what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have. By that time, I'll, I'll probably have 15, 16, 17 episodes. I'll say, yeah, I have, I have 16 podcast episodes. Start from one, get to 16. When you're there, yeah, yeah, we can talk about hanging. So uh, uh, well, I mean that'll that'll take me that'll take me some time. I'm like, well, yeah, it's it's over, over ten hours of of top tier audio content. It's honestly one of the top twenty best podcasts. You should you should be thanking me for this. But I don't want to end this episode on a negative note because the people the people whom I do have time for the people whom I care about whether I know you in real life or not, the people, the people whom I love, I mean, I love everyone, but the people for whom I have a really special place in my heart, those, those are the people who are listening right now. That's you. Thank you for listening to The Studio with Christoph Malachuk. I want you to tell your landlady about this podcast. I want you to tell your landlord. And if you own your own house... Congratulations. That's fantastic. I would love to be there someday. Someday soon, hopefully. Not too soon. On the horizon a few years. But yeah, good job. On a more serious note, however, continue telling your friends about the show. That's how we grow. In the same way that there are hardly any journalists around anymore, there are hardly any entertainment shows out there. When I say entertainment show, I mean a show that's actually entertaining. And the studio with Christoph Malachuk certainly fits that bill. So please tell your hombres, tell your homegirls, tell your buddies, tell your roommates, tell your friends, your parents, and, of course, your landlady and landlord. You can follow me on Instagram. Stay up to date with what I'm doing at Malachuk. That's my last name, at M-A-L-E-J-C-Z-U-K. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. This is The Studio with Christoph Malachuk.